take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. This is Zivi Kivi, and today we are in Season 2, Chapter 4. The interviewee for today is Adi Somech. Adi Somech is someone that I had the privilege of meeting in Israel when he was giving us a masterclass about balloon hats. And uh, not uh, much after that, I read his book, and his book was just so phenomenal in showing examples in opening your mind to how balloon hats can make people happy and how they can be uh, so colorful and how to use negative space in such a way that will just create awe. So Adi uh, was an awesome instructor, but also a huge inspiration for me in regards to the value of practice. And I just had to have him on the show. So today Adi Somrach will discuss all of his ways to entertain with balloons. He uses balloons for many types of entertainment, whether it's in his uh, TV show, The Unpopables, and he also performs regularly with balloon music, which is something that is quite unusual. And he also does entertainment with balloons in weddings with his awesome balloon hats. So there was a lot of ideas in the interview about how to practice, stick around to the end, and those tips could put you in a position that uh, you entirely redesign your twisting style just uh, you know by practicing according to these ideas i really think you're going to enjoy this one someone sent me an email about what is mabk what is that mabk that i mentioned from time to time so mabk is an acronym for modern automated balloon business course and it's really a program that i'm running now for five weeks or so in a couple of days we're doing lesson number six and this uh, program is uh, all about the business side of balloon business how to make your business modern how to make it automated how to sell better i'm really excited about the results that people are getting from the course the course is closed so i'm sorry maybe it will open after the second season again I also want to mention that the balloon stock app is going through a major renovation under the hood behind the scenes. Uh, its icons are being replaced, but more importantly, additional balloons are going to be added to it. And I'm supposed to get a first version for quality assurance sometime, maybe, maybe, maybe even by the next chapter. Uh, and then... Uh, after a few weeks uh, of quality assurance and uh, some more features that I'm adding, uh, a new version of Balloon Stock app will be released. So I'm, I'm also excited about that. There are some surprises, features, and some, some, some really in, uh, interesting announcements about the Balloon Stock app, but I will keep it as a surprise for another chapter in this season. So without further ado, here is Adi Somech. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Today we are in season two, and this season is all about how to entertain with balloons. 
and entertainment is something which uh, our interviewer today uh, has been explored in many ways. And I'm very happy to introduce you to the sophisticated artist that I had the privilege of also to meet face-to-face, Adi Somek. Adi Somek, how are you? What's up, man? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm very happy. I have so many things to talk with you about. But first, I want to tell the audience a little bit about what you do. So you do a lot, but uh, uh, one of the things that is very remarkable is the unpopable. So what is The Unpopable? The Unpopables was a TV show that I did for TLC. Gosh, it's like five years ago now. And actually, the name Unpopable is the name of my band, my musical band. And they actually stole the name from my band and trademarked it without me knowing, which is a funny side story. But basically, I around 2002... I was working in New York. I was living in New York, and I was—I had a job working for Martha Stewart in her backyard, and I got bit by a tick, and I got Lyme's disease. I got really sick, and I couldn't live in New York anymore. And so I just—I just wanted to move to Los Angeles. I had these visions of, you know, being around fruit trees and just picking oranges and lemons and eating them right off a tree. So I moved. Also, I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles, which was a nice tempting idea because I just wanted to hit the reset button. So I moved to Los Angeles just to get healthy again. And while I was there, I thought, you know, this is where TV is made. I should try to do some sort of balloon TV show. And I really didn't own a television. And I I don't really have patience for watching television. It kind of stresses me out, all the commercials. But I still felt like I could do a TV show. So I started just hustling really I, I had no idea what kind of show I wanted to do other than it was about balloons and making people happy and so I started talking to producers and agents and anyone I could about what a balloon tv show would look like and no one really knew everyone thought it would be for kids and I didn't want to do a kid's show and eventually I met a guy named Brian Knappmiller um, who's a tv producer and he and I just had real chemistry I saw that he was really sharp and smart and great at storytelling and motivated. And he saw that I had a certain thing and that the balloons really affected people. So we just started working together to create this TV show. And we had been working together for a couple of years and then we sold it. We sold it to TLC. And originally the show, the original, original idea of the show, it was called Balloon Ambassador. And it was kind of like the balloon hat project I did around the world where it was just me going around making balloons for people and making people happy. And so we shot a little sizzle reel. That's what you do. That's how you sell a show. You shoot like a five minute little version of it. And he took it to different networks and they said, "Okay, this doesn't suck like we thought it was going to suck when we heard balloons. We thought it was going to be, you know, for kids. But this is actually for adults. This is cool. Get a get this guy a team. And those are the shows that are popular now when you have a team and they're working together and there's competition and cooperation, get him a team and come back to us. So then I thought, all right, well, who can I get? And I met, I had met Brian Asman at the uh, Millennium Jam in Belgium, which was pretty funny because we lived about three blocks away from each other in San Francisco. Uh, when when I was living there, we lived really close to each other and didn't know each other. And we met on the other side of the planet. So I knew Brian would be perfect because everybody loves Brian. 
He's super lovable, super talented, and I knew he would just do great. And our styles are incredibly different. And then we needed a girl, and I can't remember how I found Katie Balloons. I think my brother saw a picture of her on the internet or something, if I remember correctly. And he just said, you know this girl? And I looked at her, I said, I don't. And so I, I looked at her pictures, and I called her, and I thought, she's really talented, and she's sufficiently crazy. This chick is trippy. And Brian is pretty grounded, and we needed someone with a little bit of an edge. So it just seemed like, hey, this could work. So we became a team, and we actually never really worked together, ever. We just, I just lied and said we're a team. So when we sold the show, it was based on this illusion that, the three of us actually work together on a regular basis. It was a lie. It's like 75% lies. Yeah. And in those shows, you, you did six episodes and you made some awesome stuff on those shows. So the main theme is like to challenge yourself to do stuff? Well, they're called a build show or a process show. So it could be you're building a cake or you're building a tree house or you're building sandcastles. And the basic idea is that it's an obstacle. And it's like the hero's journey. It's like, It's Indiana Jones. It's, every, it's Luke Skywalker. It's every story. It's, there's, there's a person. There's an obstacle. And overcoming the obstacle is the challenge. And, and there's setbacks. But you keep trying and pushing and pushing. And then there's the happy ending. So that's the premise of all shows. And basically cool. the way television works is you just need to keep people interested. So they watch a set of commercials. So they sit through the commercials. So they see how the story resolves. The television networks don't care what they put on. Usually they put on like crazy women ripping each other's wigs off that, because that's so compelling that you just get sucked into it. So in this particular case, we were able to convince them that we can make very high-end balloon art that is compelling for adults, that we make adults feel like kids. And so we created this sizzle reel where I, I just had a regular job in New Orleans. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to take the money I make from this job and buy balloons. We'll shoot this thing. And that was actually the first time I ever met Katie was at the airport where we shot the sizzle reel for her. We actually, at the time, we were calling the show Perfectly Twisted. And then um, the name changed. Yeah, we did the gig and it was cool. And we sold the show instantly. Once they saw the sizzle reel with Brian and Katie and me and they saw that we had real chemistry and that we were like making adults happy, TLC bought the show in like five minutes. They've ordered six episodes in five minutes, which rarely ever happens. And uh, you also had the generosity of putting those uh, episodes online. So we'll put a link to that on the show notes and uh, people could go and watch that because they're really impressive. It's just impressive to watch what you built there and it's very likable. So and uh, you do, you didn't put the commercials in the episodes online, right? There's no, no, no commercials. There's no commercials because I just had the straight footage from the shows. Plus, there's actually um, at the end of every episode, there's scenes that didn't make it on television that I put online. And there's actually the original sizzle reel that we made that sold the show. That's also on the website, theunpoppables.com. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's worth checking out. It's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to see how we sold the show. I actually have mixed feelings about the show itself. I think that what happened was um, it was very tricky because no one had ever done a balloon show before. So when we started, nobody even knew how to light the balloons. And so there was a real steep learning curve. And we also were pretty mismanaged. 
so that was really complicated. It was really painful because we spent a lot of time just dealing with politics and not actually focusing on what we were doing. And it was really tricky for me because once they, they bought the show based on this abstract, weird balloon art that I make in real life. Once they bought the show, they changed it to be you have to make stuff that people can understand, like a fire truck or a castle, which makes perfect sense. I just didn't know how to do that. That's not anything I'd ever done before. And they just told me that right when we started shooting the show. So I had an even steeper learning curve because I had to completely um, learn a new style of balloon art, which does not come natural to me. Eventually, you did make it to, to do. The, the show doesn't suck. So I mean, that's a, that's a, the, the show did not suck, which is a victory in and of itself. I'm very confident had we gone to a season two, we would have figured out the system, and it would have been killer, but we just didn't quite get there. Um, oh, the other thing was also, you know, when you do a show like that, it's really trippy because there's so many cooks in the kitchen that it's hard. When you create a show for the very first season, nobody knows what the show's like. Everyone's got some input into trying to make it something. So you're really trying to figure out your voice. You know, it's a really complicated thing. And then the ratings come in, and then there's focus groups. It's like uh, there was so much behind-the-scenes drama that was even more mind-blowing than the actual balloon twisting. The, the actual balloon twisting was, um, we, you know, at the end of the, most of the balloon twisting happened at night because I was so busy doing, like, political stuff in the daytime, really, to be honest with you. I would never, I, I'm very proud of the show that we actually sold the show and we made it. That was an accomplishment in and of itself, and I learned a lot. And I'm still in the television business now just as a producer, but not in front of the camera as I was before. So the, the whole and thing was a massive, massive, massive education. I have to ask like, about leverage. Like, can you leverage the, the, the unpopular balloon show uh, with your regular balloon customers that uh, you entertain them with uh, balloons, like balloon hats? So do you leverage that? Do you, do you show it to them? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. Usually no. Usually no, because... The show is so different than what I really do. The show is just a different form of entertainment as opposed to what I enjoy doing or I think what I'm naturally good at. So I, it doesn't come up very often. And also okay. when it was over, I was over it. I was ready to move on. I don't, I'm not really into um, the past so much. That's part of the reason cool. I like balloon art is because it's so ephemeral. I never understood painters who would paint and then you know, so their, their room is covered in their own paintings. I, I couldn't look at something I did five years ago. It would drive me crazy. So <laughs> if I find that telling somebody that I had a television show helps me sell a job, yeah, of course I'll make an issue of it, but it's not a major part of my spiel. Cool. So let's talk about what uh, you do these days in regards to balloon entertainment, because you, you basically do two things that are very different, and one of them is balloon music. And the other one is your entire, I have to say, like um, balloon hat enterprise, uh, where you do your balloon hats uh, in many kinds of gigs with corporates and with parties and in weddings and so on. But you have a very uh, special method and way to do it. So let's start with the, the balloon music, just that people are familiar with uh, such a concept, which is balloon music. So what is balloon music? Well, the balloon, I play a balloon base. It's made out of one 11-inch round balloon and two 260s. 
And the truth is, I just always wanted to play music from when I was a little kid, and I just didn't have the talent. And then I got super, I guess, insecure and neurotic that I just didn't have the talent. I try. I really wanted to just play the trombone, to be honest with you. That's all I wanted to do was play the trombone in a jazz band, and I just wasn't good enough. When I started twisting balloons, I realized that I was good at it, and I started improvising with balloons the way I wanted to improvise with music. So that was kind of how I started the whole concept of improvising with balloon hats. But once I got bit by that tick and I got Lyme's disease and I was in bed for six months, I had remembered that Sean Rooney, who is the genius balloon artist from Canada, he had come up with like a balloon guitar type of thing. He had figured out how to make a balloon musical instrument. And he had shown it to me, and I blew my mind, but I couldn't remember how he did it. So I was literally in bed. I was in bed for like six or eight months. I just couldn't really get out of bed. I mean, Lyme's disease is like chronic fatigue syndrome. So I reverse engineered his idea. I said, I can't remember how he did it, but I'm just going to try to figure it out. And so I came up with my own version of his original invention. And then I just stayed in bed, and I played this one-string bass figured out the fingering. And because I grew up listening to blues records, I just kind of knew the sound that I wanted to get. And because it was a balloon, it bypassed all my neuroses and hangups about regular musical instruments. I didn't take it seriously enough. And so then I just started playing it in bed because it's all I could do. I could, because I, I usually play racquetball. I'm like, that's my thing. I, I love playing racquetball. And I was so sick, I couldn't play racquetball anymore. So I just stayed in bed and played the balloon bass. And then once I got better, I started playing the balloon bass at open mics in Los Angeles. I would just go and I figured out how to mic it. And I just, I wrote some songs and I would just go start playing uh, at bars and coffee shops. And then I met other musicians who I started playing with. So that's kind of how that whole came about. And and my whole thing with the balloon bass is I don't want, I want people to hear our music and not think, oh, that's a balloon. That sounds pretty good for a balloon. I just want it to be good music. And I, I don't, I don't want people to know that it's a balloon. I just want them to think this is a great freaking song. I want to listen to it again. And I want women to like move their hips. If you're playing in a bar, if you can make play music that women like, then that's how you get more uh, gigs because the bartenders just want more women to come because if women are coming, then guys are going to come. So, you know, it's just playing fun, funky music. That, that's so, so cool. And we'll have to like share your passion and your music. So I, I would like to ask you, will that be okay for you to share with us uh, one of your favorite uh, pieces and uh, that uh, people could... Uh, Uh, get get a, a, a taste sure of. of course yeah I mean they could also just go on YouTube and look uh, my channel is balloon bass and uh, but you know you could play any music or whatever yeah for sure and unpopable is me on balloon bass and a guy named Joey Marumba on electric bass and then we play with different drummers or sometimes we play with a violinist but um, it's basically a balloon bass electric bass band we'll help people uh, check that out so if you are not going to look for it on YouTube, you'll also see the links on the show notes. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about what you do for entertaining people with balloons, because entertaining people and making them smile is something that you've been doing for years, and you have your own way, your own 
signature way. It's so unique in my point of view, because I read your book and we'll talk about it later, that uh, in Israel, uh, the wedding uh, market is very strong and people are uh, buying uh, balloon hats and, uh, you know, balloon entertainment, entertainment for weddings is very popular. And I could like talk with a customer and see what he wants and know, okay, so you mean you want an Adi Somech kind of an event? It's that specific. Or, or sometimes I will go to the wedding and I will have two different packages, one for the Adi Somech style and one for like, I don't know, some other ideas that I've developed. Tell us what you do. Well, I started twisting balloons when I was 19. I was in college and I needed to pay my car insurance. And I was very, also I was in love with a woman who was in love with someone else. So I had depression and I had to come up with some money. And so I just wound up getting a job. I worked at a pizza place in the daytime and it wasn't enough money. And I got a job twisting balloons at restaurants at night. And I thought, okay, I'll just do this for the summer and make enough money. And what happened was I I learned a couple of animals. This was in 1991, right? So this is... The date's important because this is way before the internet, because it used to be that before the internet, the way you learn was you just practice by yourself, or you got like a little book, or if you saw another balloon twister, you'd say, hey, I'll buy you a sandwich if you show me how to make a balloon turtle. It was very much an oral tradition, basically. And I liked the job because I didn't have a boss. I didn't have to shave every day. I got to make people happy, and I got paid in cash. That's all. Those were all great. But I realized if I have to make the same animal over and over again, I'm going to get so bored so quickly that I can't handle this. I'll quit. And then I realized if I make a balloon hat, I can, every hat can be different. Um, I can improvise the way I always wanted to improvise as a musician, but wasn't able to play any musical instruments. And most importantly, I made more money because the hats were bigger and they were, they were just more of a statement than a small little animal. It really transformed the room because if I, I started working at restaurants on tips and if you made everyone a hat at the restaurant, everyone else in the restaurant saw it. The manager was happy. It just made people laugh more. It was unexpected. And what happened basically was I realized balloon hats are like playing with Legos. You have just a bunch of different colors and shapes and you can improvise the combination of them in an unlimited amount of ways. And that was way more interesting to me because I never knew what was going to come out. In fact, I was embarrassed that I that this was my one talent. Of all talents in life, I was like, oh, my God, I'm a balloon guy. My parents were embarrassed. My friends made fun of me. It was the first time I ever felt I was good at anything. But I just also felt this is the lamest thing in the world to be good at. I can't believe I'm a balloon guy. Like God is playing a cruel joke on me. Why can't I just play the trombone? And... That was that went on for a while, even though I was making money. What what changed, what finally gave me respect for balloons was I got two jobs in the same week. I think this was maybe when I was 20 or something, my second year in college. I got a job volunteering at a family day in a prison, right? It was a freaking jail, and it was the kids were coming to meet their dads in jail, and I was making balloons for everyone. And at the same week, I got a job and I went to Sacramento, the capital of California, and I made balloon hats for the governor's wife and her friends. And I realized, you know, I've been in a jail and in the governor's mansion in the same week, and I wouldn't have been invited to either of these places if it wasn't for the balloons and the balloon hats. 
So then I realized, oh, these balloons have like actual power. They actually communicate something. They create joy in a very unexpected way, and they transcend class, and they transcend language and cultural background. This is some heavy shit that I was not expecting. And then I stopped being so self-hating about it and began to really respect it. And then I just started practicing like a maniac. I realized, okay, God has given me one talent. I'm not really good at anything else. And I am going to just practice this like a maniac, like the way a jazz musician practices a saxophone. I'm just going to go for it. So this is a very interesting story that a lot of people can relate to that because we all had our moment where we realized the power of balloons. Yeah. That, that, that's the story that you just told us in that week where you were in jail and in the governor's uh, home or office, I don't know, uh, you actually had the, the, the epiphany, the, the insight that uh, balloons are powerful. And since then, you've been using balloons and uh, making so many people happy. And I want to talk a little bit more about practicing. But before that, I have to ask you about actual, you know, the gigs that you do. Uh, how do you manage? Do you do a line work thing? How do you go into an event, a corporate event, and manage your time there so that it will be not just entertaining for people, but will also be uh, easy to consume? Because those hats take some time to make. Okay, that's a very good question. I, part of what I have done is practice to make as fancy a hat as possible in as short a time as possible. So I don't want to spend more than three minutes on a hat. Never, never. It's fast. And, and the trick is to use a lot of negative space. So you make it look like it's a lot fancier than it really is. But I try to make, use, make balloon hats with only four balloons. So um, if I could back up for a moment, I would say that some of my heroes uh, are drummers from New Orleans who play incredible music on the smallest drum set possible. Like you can't even believe how few uh, things that they can. They have only like a couple little drum pieces, but they make incredible sounds and they can get people dancing. And so I looked at that and I said, I want to twist balloons like the way those guys play the drums. So the way I work is my whole thing is I try to make adults feel like kids. I don't like working with kids. I won't work with kids anymore. I don't do kids parties anymore. I mean, I did that for years. And I think I have post-traumatic stress from so many screaming kids. I just don't even want to be around it anymore. It, it makes me physically ill, actually, to hear kids screaming. And so even if it's happy screaming, I just can't handle it. And so also it's boring to me and I can make a lot more money working for adults. So if I do a corporate job where... And it's so much more of a challenge to go in there where, where adults say, I don't want balloons and convince them, yeah, yeah, you do. And then by the end of the party, they're, they're, they're all in line begging for a balloon hat because, because adults want to feel like kids. And balloons are one of the – if a balloon is done well, it does make an adult feel like a kid. So when I get hired to do an event, that, that's usually what the people know. They want, they, they want something different and lighten the mood. Because there's so many of these adult events and they're all kind of the same. They're like, we need something different. So that's when they bring me in. So I only work with 260s. I have a balloon apron made out of denim that my mom made for me. I don't have 350s. I don't have heart-shaped balloons. I just have 260s. If I remember, I have a Sharpie pen because if someone wants a balloon animal, like I only make a couple animals like a turtle. The balloon turtle is very cute. I'll draw eyeballs on the turtle. 
Um, but that's basically it. I just use two sixties and, and that goes back to those new Orleans drummers. They just have the smallest drum kit possible and they play the living shit out of it. And that's just what I try to replicate. Do you have a full palette of colors? Uh, yeah, I have almost every color. Yeah. But only, you, but only two sixties and I have my favorite colors and some colors I don't use that much, but I have just in case. And, and, and the reason is that I try to match the clothes that people are wearing. So if someone yeah. has gray, I need a few grays, but I usually don't use a lot of gray. Yeah, like maybe chocolate brown and mocha and blush. Or, yeah. Uh, Where I know Brian Asman, he makes faces all the time. He, he, he also is a great improviser, and he improvises caricatures of people. So he uses blush and mocha, you know, almost exclusively. I mean, he uses a ton of those colors, and I, don't, I barely use any of them. Yeah. What about neons? Do you use them a lot? Yeah, I like neons. They're cool. The neon pink is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Did you start to play and jam with uh, the new spring green? I have not seen that, no. I heard about oh, it, yeah. but I haven't seen it. It's good. Yeah. Once you put it into your palette, it just makes the regular green so ugly. Oh. <laughs> Because it's uh, like the right shade. I don't know. Mm. I just like it. Mm -hmm. so, so do you ever make this stuff in advance? No. For your Never. Case? Never. Never. Do you, do you, how do you inflate the balloons? With my mouth. Right. So, so you're just uh, fast enough to make a big, one of your big balloons uh, in three minutes. And that, that's not easy because some of them are very, at least on the pictures, they look like a six to ten minutes walk. So how did you get to the point where you can make those on three? I have a styrofoam head, or I should say I had a styrofoam head. I had the styrofoam head that I loved. I She didn't have a name, but she and I had a relationship for many, many years. I lost her, and it was heartbreaking. I don't know how I lost her, but um, she was gone. But anyway, she and I spent many nights together where I would just make, you know, 20, 25 balloon hats in a row from, like, maybe midnight to four in the morning. And What would you do with them after that? Take pictures, so I remembered. I have thousands, exactly. I have thousands of pictures of balloon hats I've made, thousands. <laughs> And after you made them, like in the next day, what would, like you, would, would you pop them or what? What would you do with yeah, them? Yeah, I usually pop them. Sometimes yeah. I would give them to like neighbors, the kids or something, but usually just pop them. You, you know, just that by itself is mind-blowing for me because I, I do stuff like that, but I would try to use the balloons, give it to people, and, and you, you just make so much effort into practice and into improving your art which is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the most important thing. It's the single most important thing. And it's, it's not important only when you're young. It's important when you're older and you maintain your chops. And, I mean, this has been verified as a... Once I started playing music, I realized, oh, yeah, practice is the single most important thing. And when people don't practice, I mean, you can tell. It's just they don't grow They don't work quickly, and they're cutting themselves off to a whole world of magic. I mean, I'll tell you something. Practicing is the best thing possible for me because I check out of reality. Like, I stop thinking about the news or relationships or whatever's going on in my life. I enter this universe that I'm just there with, you know, shapes and colors and balloons, and I, all of a sudden this stuff happens that I never planned for. It just appears And when I'm done practicing, I, I go back to regular life energized. Like I just took a nap. I feel great afterwards. And I, I, I'm sad for people 
who don't get to experience something like that in life, that they don't have like a, a, a like artistic talent, whether it's baking or piano or archery, whatever it is, whatever helps you check out a life. That's why people take drugs all the time, because they have to escape their own, you know, prison of themselves. And so they watch pornography or gambling or sports. You know, people are addicted to watching sports and drugs, of course, and it's all an attempt to escape. But if you can practice an art form, you escape and you come back with a talent. So now I can go and I can make money making these hats really quickly because I just spent all this time practicing. I, I think I'm um, the luckiest person in the world that I got to do this. Let's talk a little bit about, about practicing because that's something also that you teach on uh, your master class. That's something you, you taught me personally. Uh, let me tell you, uh, folks that listen now and also to you, Adi, I want to thank you personally because... Uh, after uh, you gave a few ideas of, you know, how to practice in, in that masterclass, I was able to, to do it. I was able, like, to force myself to do it. And also, I was able to do this mind shift of making a sculpture at home for my kids or whatever, and then saying, cool, now I'm going to make it again. I, I want to practice. So, and you, you know how it is. It's always better after you practice and after you make it again then uh, i will stop and say okay now i need to do it again because i want to to make my hands uh, memorize this and remember the techniques and the shifts and really like on my day-to-day work and life whenever i have some time that uh, is available is free i listen I, i listen to your voice i hear myself thinking okay so let's plan my practice time. So let's practice. And I really uh, take my hat off for, for you for installing this train of thought inside of me and like thinking about our balloon art as something that requires the responsibility to practice. So tell us, tell us why practice is so important in your, in your view. Well, I think that, well, first of all, thanks for for saying that. And it's just, I think the truth is the, the more you practice, the more you learn. It just comes down to that. You said muscle memory. That's completely true. It's also, you go outside of your comfort zone and you go into these areas where, but you make a mistake and then you realize that mistake would take you in a whole new direction that you wouldn't think of in your head. So it's almost like you go on vacation, right? And you say, okay, I'm going to go to Europe. And then I'm going to, on this day, I'm going to do this. On this day, I'm going to do that. And you plan the whole vacation ahead of time. Some people do that. And they're not leaving any room for magic, which is just meeting somebody randomly and going to someplace that you never imagined. And that's really where practice comes in. It's not just that the technical muscle memory, which is an important part of it, but it's also uncharted territory where all the great balloon twisters I know, they practice compulsively. They, it's almost like they're chasing something and, and they don't even know what it is, but they just put themselves in this uncomfortable situation of, I'm just going to spend time here. I'm not going to leave the room until something happens. And a lot of the times it's unpleasant because you might say, okay, I just spent an hour here and nothing happened. But that's part of the process. I mean, every writer knows that you just sit there and you write and you write and you write. And sometimes you can write for three hours and throw it all away. And sometimes you can have 10 minutes 
of total inspiration. And that 10 minutes is the whole point. But you might not be able to get to those 10 minutes unless you sat through the three hours. One of the things that I saw in the balloon community is that the idea of practice is not instilled in people as just a basic cultural dynamic. That is, in the jazz world and in the writing world and even in the cooking world, everybody knows you have to do it over and over and over and over and over again to get better. When I taught at a balloon convention for the first time, what something that really bummed me out is that I realized there was a lot of people who were there they just wanted to learn formulas to do something quickly so they could make more money with it, which makes perfect sense because they're, it's, they're in the entertainment business and they might not be artists, they might be entertainers. There's a big difference between the two. And they just want to learn something to make money quickly. But if you went to like a jazz camp or a jazz conference and you met like an 80-year-old trumpet player and you said to him, what's the quickest way that I could learn how to play the trumpet to make money, the, that 80-year-old trumpet player would just start crying because they'd be like, you're just missing the point. You're completely missing the point. You have to develop your own voice by practicing, by becoming one with the instrument. You have to, there, there's a certain, I guess, reverence and certain sacrifice of convenience, but that, that's fueled by a desire or a passion to understand this like magical thing and go deep into it and when you do that then you will eventually figure out how to make money and and figure out how to do it quickly but you but putting the cart before the horse just makes a bunch of like kind of everything is just cheesy does that make sense yeah you're basically basically saying that uh you know Balloon art is maybe the only art in the world right now that doesn't recognize itself as, you know, mature enough to force people to practice. Like on any other art, on a stage, once you're on a stage, or even like if your stage is a metaphor, it might be books, it might be any other art. It's obvious that you will not be good enough unless you practice. And in our art, sometimes, we don't have this uh, value uh, strong enough. So I've really thought a lot about this, and I think the ultimate paradox of balloons is that the strength of balloons is its weakness, and the weakness of balloons is its strength. I swear to God, and I'll, I'll explain that. Because balloons are so ephemeral, that gives it this magical power, right? Nobody's ever had an emotional reaction to a beach ball, because in the back of their mind, they know you could put a beach ball in the closet, and six months later, it's going to be there. But because balloons are so weak, it creates this uh, powerful experience that roots you in the moment. Subconsciously, you realize what I'm looking at won't be around very long, so it makes you in the present. That's the weakness of balloons is its power. But at the same time, that power is what makes balloon art often weak. So anybody can just grab some balloons and a pump, learn how to make a giraffe, and go to the park and start selling balloon giraffes. And Kids like it because it, that, they experience that power of balloons. But it keeps the balloon art from ever evolving into a real art form because there's so much bad balloon art. Now, things have changed considerably, I think, in the last couple of years with the growth of balloon art around the world and the pictures you see on the Internet and people sharing on the Internet. And it's the growth of balloons has really exponentialized because more and more people are practicing it. So it's changing. It really is changing. But yeah. it's really a handful of people 
who have this compulsive desire to practice. And I don't think it's ingrained in the average person because a lot of balloon artists do a little balloon art, a little, uh, a little magic, a little face painting. And so they just get by as entertainers. So I, I think that um, historically people haven't had to practice. If you're a stand-up comedian and you go on stage and you don't practice, you can't survive. And so, so basically, before the internet was uh, so available, it would be very hard for you to, to learn stuff. Nowadays, at least people can see the, those amazing sculptures uh, made uh, in competition pieces and uh, all around the world, like the best of the best balloons. And that's kind of, well, you have to practice in order to make those. Yeah, it ups your game because you can see what's possible now. There's, because people can share pictures so easily now, it, somebody in Tennessee can see something that someone in Japan made and say, okay, I'm going to figure that out. Oh, that, I didn't know that was possible. I see that it's possible now. I'm not going to go to the bathroom until I figure this out, even if I have to hold it in for an hour and a half. That's what true practice is. When you're, when you're overwhelmed with this compulsion to make something and figure it out. It's crazy, oh. but it's beautiful. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Like uh, sometimes I will skip lunch. It doesn't show. I need to exercise more. But but sometimes I will skip lunch because I'm so focused on you know making I don't know even editing the show. Uh, and I will like it's more important for me at the, at the moment. Uh, but uh, the same thing with practicing with balloons. So if you're that eager about it and you're that, that uh, fascinated by it, that uh, you're holding yourself to, to, to continue, then, uh, then it, it's a sign that you're uh, doing it right, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that means that you actually care and you're actually excited and you have desire. And that's the best feeling possible. And, you know, my teacher, Mary Holmes, would say, there's no such thing as self-discipline. There's only desire. And if you desire something enough, it creates discipline in you. So when I was, I went to Thailand last year, I think, yeah, it was last year, visited Thailand and I met uh this lady balloon twisty who I met Oh through. I met her. Yeah. I met her I met her in uh, in Thailand as well. Oh you really She's awesome. <laughs> you went to Thailand. Yes. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I met her on Instagram and yeah, I was like, wow, this lady's a maniac. She practices yeah. constantly. So she yeah, does. we went we went out to dinner and we talked and she told me something amazing. She has a regular job as a secretary, right? She has to right. be at work at 8 in the morning. She wakes up at 5 and twists balloons for at least an hour, sometimes two hours, before she goes to work. Wow. Yeah. Wow is right. Because most people would be like, screw that, I'm sleeping more. Snooze button, you know? And she just loves balloons so much that she doesn't want to sleep. She wants to wake up and practice. And, you know, you can't force people to do that. So when I say people should practice, that's kind of a dumb thing to say because people shouldn't do anything that they don't want to do. They should, but ideally, you know, they get hip to the fact that if they want to make money and if they want to have their own voice with balloons, the only way to do it is to rearrange your schedule and sacrifice a couple of things and practice. And, and, okay, and it but- is a gift. It's a serious gift. Yeah, when you practice, you definitely feel after that uh, you feel enlightened and you feel that it was a well worth uh, spend of your time. But I do want to say, practicing is not 
for everyone something that is natural. So by giving a few ideas about how to start practicing, that can actually help. That, that helped me when you uh, mentioned in that masterclass a few tricks of like, here's an example of what you can practice. Yeah. So what do you think people can do in order to start play with the balloons and start to actually uh, challenge themselves and practice? Okay, so let, let me just talk about balloon hats because that's okay. what I practice most. And then maybe you can extrapolate this to whatever, balloon animals or anything else. So I, get yeah, this, I have this styrofoam head and I will maybe... Uh, one thing I do is I purposely twist something that looks wrong, that I've never done before. Like I make a mistake on purpose, and then I force myself to figure out how to use that mistake. So it's or do, and I say, okay, I, but if I solve it, then I have, I'm on uncharted territory, and I'm doing something like brand new. So that's another thing is I'll make like a um, foundation of a hat three times, and then I'll make it a little bit different each time. You see what I'm saying? So another thing in music is variations on a theme. Like if you play a melody, you could just do it a little bit differently each time. It's still the same melody, but it's a little bit different. So I'll make maybe three or four hats that are the same hat as a kind of base. And then I'll do, I'll add different things to it to make it considerably different, even though it's the same hat. So one of the things that you realize then is that you don't have to invent the wheel every single time. Uh, improvisation doesn't have to be this like total free form thing. It could be a very specific formula and uh, tweaking of the formula. So it's much more manageable. You see what I'm saying? Does that make yeah. sense? Um, yeah. And another way I practice is sometimes I'll just pick three colors like uh, periwinkle, black, and rose. And I'll take 10 of each color, right? And I just have them in front of me, and then I'll make ten hats with only with, with one balloon of each color. So I'm forcing myself to make ten hats with only three balloons each, ten times. And so you're really imposing this weird limitation on you, but that limitation forces you to think differently. It's all about going outside of your comfort zone. That's cool. The trick with taking uh, only three colors and forcing yourself to make basically 10 variations or 10 things from those three colors. That's very, very cool. And maybe you can make 10 hats and nine of them aren't very good, but that one hat that you made, it could send you in a whole new direction that could change the way you twist balloons for the next year. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And by the way, one of the things in your book is that you have a different balloon uh, hat base. Mm -hmm. So you have... Uh, and then you, you, you start to build on those different bases. So a base from two balloons and a base from one balloon and a base from four balloons. And that's uh, also something that like allows you to say, okay, I'm now going to make uh, uh, 10 different hats, but they all share one thing in common. They all have the same base of, I don't know, two balloon base. So that's uh, also something that you, you show in your book and you showed in your masterclass. Yeah, that's a good way to practice. And I, I think people have to uh, decide, well, what, what is their goal? What, what exactly do you want? Do you want to be an artist and make beautiful hats? Or do you want to make a bunch of money and make a 
a bunch of hats quickly. But and either one is perfectly fine. You just have to figure out what you, who your audience is and what's going to make you happy. And if you want to make hats quickly, you can do it in a way that's very thoughtful, that's not sloppy, and that's not doesn't look like a bowl of spaghetti dumped on someone's head. You just have to figure out a few like technical tricks. Like negative space is really your friend. You know, if you only want to use three or four balloons on a balloon hat, then you want to have a lot of negative space. Or if you want to do them quickly, you don't have to twist, make a bunch of little twists and bubbles. You can use long shapes. You just have to be clever about it. And so you set, you set that as a goal for yourself and you just keep practicing until you figured, oh, okay, I got it. I, this is what, this is going to work for me. And then you've developed confidence once you do that. You're like, okay, I got it. I, 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 I have developed something that I feel is my own. And then it's like a feedback loop. You get excited that you are onto something and you want to do it more. It's not like a, it's not like a chore, like, you know, mowing the lawn. It's something that you want to come home and do. And uh, these days on, on the corporate events, when you're making hats or on a wedding, do you have like uh, some piece that you make that is planned ahead, like a specific hat that you say, oh, I must also do this one, or is it all improvisation? The, that's a good question. So when I start working, maybe the first four or five hats I've done before, just kind of warming up, you know? Um, yeah. And there's a time, there's a time and place where it's good to improvise, and there's a time and place where you don't want to improvise, where you're like, I, need, I know I want to do something that I know is going to work right now. Maybe a bunch of people are watching and you're a little rusty, So just stay in your comfort zone and do what you know is going to work. But if you're working for three hours and you're like an hour and a half into it and the party's going well, then you can start taking some risks. And sometimes those risks, you know, a major part of improvisation is um, being comfortable with failure, which is not easy. But you go on uncharted territory and sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. And you have to be able to... Um, Be comfortable with that and use it as a learning experience and not proof that you suck. So I've learned a lot, I've learned a lot from um, reading about comedians because it's, comedians, it's all about, you know, getting on stage and, and sucking and making mistakes and learning from those mistakes and learning how to use those mistakes to your advantage. So you, there's also a lot to learn from other people's art forms. I mean, I talk about musicians a lot, but... There's, you can always learn from other people's experience and their learning curve and apply their lessons to what you're doing. Cool. But yeah, cool. I, definitely, I definitely start off with things that I'm comfortable with until I build up. It's almost like, you know... Um, it's it's almost, a warm-up. It's a warm-up, yeah. You're just warming up. And I also do finger exercises. That's another thing. I do finger exercises so I don't get carpal tunnel And I actually twist faster because I literally like uh, like a pianist. I'll do exercises for my fingers and wrists and elbows and shoulders. Cool. Uh, I can definitely relate to that because uh, I'm also a magician. So I, I need to uh, warm up uh, both my hands and uh, the crowd. So when I start my show, I will start with a few things that I know that work for sure and build my rapport and build uh, my character and also with the hands so practicing finger movements is something that is really good for you yeah how many balloons the most do you put in a hat in your real 
uh, day-to-day gigs? I don't think I would use more than six ever. Cool. But and if I do, it's because I know what I'm doing. I'm I, I have a specific like vision for it. But I I really do it more as far as time. I I try to do it in two or three minutes. How how long uh, people put the hat on their head? For how long? Mm, yeah, it depends. Sometimes all night. Sometimes not very long. Sometimes it's just a moment for a laugh and everybody's happy. And sometimes they freaking love their hat and there's no way you could take it off of them. A lot of times when you work with adults, okay, this is actually kind of an important tip. Another really important thing I do is the balloon ring. It's a, uh, it's just a ring out of, with two, two sixties because women don't often women don't want a balloon hat because they spend time on their hair, which totally makes sense, but they love a balloon ring. And also when you're working with adults, especially in a corporate environment, um, nobody wants to look like an idiot. So they all think, when, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot if I have this balloon hat on. So you start off with the women because women have, um, they, don't, they don't have as much ego and insecurities as men, so they'll often wear a balloon hat. Or you start off with the balloon rings and just wait until people have a couple drinks. Once they've had a couple drinks, they loosen up. So you can't walk into a room and expect all the adults to say, yes, give me a balloon hat. You have, they have to slowly see that the balloon hats aren't going to make them look like an idiot. And also, uh, and, and that they're, they're well-made balloon hats. So they look like crowns as opposed to just like a big mess on your head. So you have to, they have to trust that they're not going to look like an idiot. Also, when someone in upper management wears a balloon hat, they get the cue that, okay, it's okay for me to, and then everybody wants one. So if the party's from 7 to 10, maybe there's not many balloon hats from 7 to 7.45. But from nine to ten, there generally is a ton. So that's, that's uh, wow. part of pacing it. Wow, Adi, I have to emphasize this. Like uh, uh, this is the this is uh, the the kind of tips of a professional that people uh, need to make sure they understand this. Like uh, practicing is super important as well. But um, to understand the actual feelings of people when you approach to them, and not just to uh, make it into a machine that creates hats, but it's an entertaining piece. It's something that you need to read the people and to understand what they feel. And by giving them, you know, giving to the right person, the female one or or, or the more uh, corporate hiring the latter guy, that's so smart. Well, you have to be present. You have to be in the moment and understand who the audience is. And so if you're working with kids, yeah, you can go on cruise control and just crank stuff out because you know kids are going to want something. But if you're dealing with more uh, with adults, they're more sophisticated, they're more demanding, they want to see that it looks good. And so you have to gain their trust. And so that just takes a little bit of time. Uh, but then you get you paid what? more. So I want to ask you something about that, about being paid more, because you did mention it before. And uh, I think it's actually something that is important to talk about. Uh, you know, you, you've decided to work less with kids, or not at all with kids these days, yeah. and to work with adults. And you said one of the reasons is also because of the money. And uh, I, have, I have to say, like, uh, I work exclusively with kids these days, uh, but I do want to plan ahead for, you know, 10 years from now, and see where I'm going. So going to the adults and to the corporate world is something that makes sense. 
Okay, so Adi, we've discussed about uh, practicing and about how you can grow as an artist. So, and these were important because um, as an entertainer with balloons in the corporate world and in weddings, you need to have that high level of skill. But what about balloon artists that have a problem with practicing? They don't know just how to start. So do you have any like exercises that you can recommend that will help them to start practicing? Uh, yeah, here's three or four things just kind of off the top of my head that I think will work. One is you have to look at your schedule and make time for it because everybody's so busy that doing something, especially if you have kids or something like that, doing something like practicing seems like it's indulgent but you really have to prioritize it. So something has to give. Maybe you have to sleep less. Maybe you watch less television, but you have to say, I'm going to practice for a half hour a day. If you do any minimum, if you do a ha anything for a half hour a day, whether it's learn French or sit-ups, uh, after a month, you're a completely different person. So one, you have to make time for it. Two, I would, this, is, this sounds strange, but I would try twisting really slowly, really slowly. And wow. then what happens is, you see how your fingers work and you retrain muscle memory and you get a new relationship to the balloon. So the idea is that you twist quickly, but the paradox is if you twist slowly, you really train your fingers to work in a whole new way. So guitar players, you know, when you see them play incredibly fast, it's because they sit there and they practice really slowly. So that's something to experiment with. Um, Wow, that's something I'm going to try today. Yeah, oh, it just completely changes the way you look at it. Like really slowly, like something you would never do at a party. But you really yes. look at which finger moves and how many times you actually twist it. And you realize, okay, maybe I'm spending too much time twisting it. Or maybe, you know, you just kind of become one with the balloon, you know? Yeah. Um, I would say another thing is take photos of everything that you practice. With me, I may balloon hats and I take I have the styrofoam head and I'm I take pictures of all of them and I keep them organized in folders in my uh, on my computer so I have a folder that's only three balloon hats and a folder that's four balloon hats and and a folder that's like my favorite hats and I go back and I revisit them because if you do this a lot you forget about all the stuff that you do and it's good to go back and um, so you don't forget and you remember them and uh, I would say another thing is give yourself a challenge. Say, I am not going to leave until I make 10 hats. Well, I'm not going to leave the room until I make 10 hats. And it might be yeah. annoying, but what happens is around hat six, seven, or eight, you're really like starting to like push past your comfort zone. And that's when the real magic happens, when you start taking risks. And you just kind of have to... Here's the trick. Here's the ultimate trick with practicing, and this is like theory and practice together, is you have to gently go outside of your comfort zone. Because if you go too hard outside of your comfort zone, then you just say, I suck, I'm not good. If you never go out of your comfort zone, you don't learn. So the trick is to, on a consistent basis, go just a little bit past what you're comfortable and have patience with yourself. And over time, you'll make all this improvement without actually realizing all the improvement that you do. But if you take pictures of everything that you make, you can look back and say, holy shit, I'm so much better than I was two months ago. Wow, wow, that, that was so, so awesome. It's like all of those tips together can actually form you uh, like a compass on your practicing. Yes, exactly. It's, 
That's, that, that's so so clever. And you develop uh, confidence, which is really the most important thing. You realize, and and then also slowly you develop your own voice. So it's not just learning other people's designs, but hey, these are mistakes that I made while practicing, and I turned those mistakes into something cool, which is my own style. Nice, love it. If people want to learn more about your book and about the, your balloon hat journey, because this journey took you throughout the world. So tell us a little bit about, about where can they find the book and the story behind it, which is fascinating. Well, in, um, what happened was I was living in New York and I was going to graduate school. And I thought, okay, balloons were just something I did in college. I'm going to like get a real job now. But right before I ended graduate school, I, I studied organizational development. So I studied how people cooperate and compete in small groups. And I thought that's what I was going to do. But right before I graduated, I met a photographer named Charlie Eckert in New York. And I saw his photos and I thought, wow, this guy's an amazing photographer. And he saw some balloons. And he said, uh, he saw, he saw the way New Yorkers reacted to the balloons. And he said, you know, it'd be really amazing if we went around the world and made balloon hats for people and took pictures of them. And the second he said that, I just knew, okay, we got to try it. So we wound up going to 34 countries, just he and I, and this was before digital cameras. So we carried film with us, which was insane. Cause if you, wow. if you lose the film, then it's all gone, you know? So I carried 60 pounds of uh, Qualitex 260s, and you know what? I never took a pump with me, which I look back at now like that was the stupidest thing in the world because if I got a sore throat or a toothache, uh, yeah. we'd be out of luck. You know, in the middle of Africa, you just can't find a balloon pump. But I don't know. I didn't know. We didn't know what we were doing when I look back at it. We had no idea what we were doing. I mean, the Internet was barely a thing then. There certainly wasn't Google. So we just, we just, I don't know. It was crazy. It was like a crazy thing that we did. And we actually survived, which is even crazier. And we actually got along, which is maybe the craziest thing. So we went to 34 countries. And the point was just to show that, uh, that laughter is universal, that everyone is born with a sense of humor and ability to laugh. And that balloons like food and music transcend the language barrier. So if you hear James Brown or you hear Beethoven, you instantly get it. You don't need an explanation. And that's the way it is with balloon hats, too. So that was a real beautiful thing that we did. And so um, a lot of those photos are at balloonhat.com. And then if people want to see any of like, the stuff I do at corporate events, like I do decor, too, like funky abstract decor, that's uh, newballoonart.com. And that's the name of my company, which I know is a, a little bit of a clunky name, but um, I decided to call it New Balloon Art just to force myself to always come up with something new. It was just, it was almost just a message to myself. And um, the my balloon-based music is at balloonbass.com. That's bass with two S's, B-A-S-S.com. And they could see the Unpoppables at theunpoppables.com. Wow. Uh, so it's really, really fun to watch you, uh, how you, like, watch your journey, how you started with balloon heads and uh, uh, progressed from there with the book and with your journey all around the world to uh, having a TV show and to doing uh, all of those uh, funky new balloon art pieces and decorations. So I, I, I'm really happy to to share uh your your uh, ideas with the people with the balloon artist podcast nation i think that uh, your art is amazing and that there's so much to learn from it 
And uh, I just want to wrap up. So uh, one last request, Adi. I don't know if you did it before or not, but I would love for you to also write, you know, the actual stories that you of your experiences in uh, your journey all around the world, because the balloons speak for themselves, the pictures speak for themselves. But I would love to hear some of your stories someday, um, maybe when we meet in Israel. Uh, about uh, you know the actual experiences, the pits and falls of it, and uh, yeah. stuff like that. Well, I actually have just finished the actual book of our stories and our pictures. It's like a coffee table book, and I, I just finished it. I've been with a few different editors, so the stories are pretty tight and good. And so uh, hopefully we're going to get that published pretty soon. Um, wow. So, yeah, so, so definitely let me know. And, and, well, and so, also, but I yeah. just, if I can, I just want to take a moment and thank you for this podcast because – by, by delving into people's mm, habits and their philosophies and all different styles of balloon art, you're really raising the bar of um, not just looking at a picture and saying, how do I do that? But understanding how people think is really important. And so you're doing everybody a great service by actually um, putting this out there. I've listened to a number of your podcasts, and it's really interesting how everybody has a different style. And they all have different ways of doing things. And, and you can learn from it or you could just marvel in the fact that everyone is so different and it's all amazing. I mean, I feel like as balloon twisters, we're all extraordinarily lucky that we have 10 fingers at work, that we get paid to make people happy and that, you know, this whole thing just keeps growing. Thanks. Thank you so much, Adi. I, I, I'm feeling very honored by, by uh, this opportunity to help people uh, grow their businesses and uh, also help people understand their art better. Yeah. So uh, uh, with that said, I do want to mention again, we will put all the links to, the, to, the, uh, to, to your different uh, websites on the show notes on the balloonartistpodcast.com website. So it will be super easy to, for people to, to go and uh, learn more about you, Adi. Adi, I really hope to see you soon. I did mention you're coming to Israel soon, so I hope to see you soon here. And thank you so much for your time with me, man. Thank you. It was a genuine pleasure. I look forward to seeing you soon. Cool. Thanks. Bye, guys. That was such a fun interview. Adi has such a deep understanding of what art is. And it's so inspiring to hear him. It just makes me feel like being in this world and living the life of an artist and of a balloon artist is just such a privilege. And yes, we need to practice more. It's just something that we need to do. And it's up to us. I want you to go to balloonartistpodcast.com. If you go there, you will find so many goodies with links to everything that Adi is doing. Everything is inside. So go to balloonartistpodcast.com and see the rest of the things that Adi is doing. And also, you could press the blue button and get for free an entire album from Adi Somech. And this album is cool. You can hear it while you're walking on your balloons. You can hear it while you're driving to your gigs. And every time you hear the balloon bass instrument and the unpopables, every time you do that, you are actually supporting a friend in our industry and you're supporting the balloon art as a whole. So keep up entertaining with balloons, guys, and enjoy your art. Enjoy practicing 
and see you on balloonartistpodcast.com and next week in the Balloon Artist Podcast. The tip section will be right after this. The Balloon Artist Podcast is brought to you by... Would you like to know what do you have in your balloon stock, in your balloon inventory? Do you want to have this list on you anywhere you go? Would you like a way that you can just order your balloons on your mobile phone whenever you want to and maintain lists of balloons for each project? All of this, including a barcode scanner feature and many other cool features like select a balloon by icon or by text, all of this can be yours if you purchase the Balloon Stock app. Look for it on iOS and on Android devices. Your iPhone can include this today. Download and buy Balloon Stock now before its price goes up. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. This is the tip section of Season 2, Chapter 4. Today is a tip which is not for everyone. It's a little bit hardcore. And the tip is to electrify yourself. Now, the reason for doing that is because you want to basically force yourself to do something like start a diet, don't eat pizza, or even just to practice or do something that... Uh, is boring for you again and again and again. The way that I've been experimenting with this is with a cool device. It's actually like a watch called Pavlok. So Pavlok is a tool that you buy. It's not very cheap, to be honest with you, but you wear it and then you have a button that you can press and give yourself a really, really small electrical shock, uh, which kind of feels like uh, a little bit painful uh, but just a little bit you know it makes your brain wake up it makes your brain say hey i didn't enjoy that and it's funny it just works so like for example since using pavlok i totally stopped eating pizza because i'm trying to keep my weight and doing some diet so if you want to check it out i have put a link to pavlok on the balloonartistpodcast.com but uh, you don't need to buy the pavlok in order to use this tool of you know training your brain to have new habits uh, you can even use a rubber band so if you take a rubber band or even a balloon for that matter and tie it on your hand and then every time you think about doing something that you know it's wrong for you like stop practicing you take the rubber band and you basically you snap your hand uh, and then this triggers an emotion in your brain that says like this voice in your head will say hmm i don't like this and then eventually you can actually train your brain it's quite funny how we can actually train our brains because a new habit is easy to to form in your life if you practice it for five days in a row and then after 21 days of doing the same new habit, it's just your, li- your new life. It's just so much easier after those first five days. So in the first five days, you should use a rubber band or Pavlok in order to train your brain. Thanks for listening for the tip for today. I know it's hardcore, but maybe it will help someone. If it helps one person in this crowd, in this audience, 
to start his diet or to you know to practice more and so on like I'm doing then uh, it is worth it so thanks and see you next week